Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to continue our expectations series. Getting near the end of this. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, today, we're going to talk about Malik Harrison and Odell Beckham. Here to join me and talk about that is Jake Fogel. Jake, how you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. How about you? Uh, always a pleasure to have you on, Jake. Uh, very knowledgeable, big-time Georgia fan, living high on the hog with the national championships. We are recording this just moments after I watched the end of the Orioles closing out the Rays in a sorry, closing out the Rays in the first game of a four game series to uh, take over first place, uh, uh, sole possession of first place, I should say. But anyway, it's a great time to be a Baltimore sports fan. Is the point? It's always a great time to be a Georgia fan. I'm sure, Jake. Uh, yeah. We appreciate having you on the show for for these two guys. Absolutely, it's uh, it's good to be here. All right, let's talk a little Malik Harrison to start it off. Uh, now, 25 now, entering his fourth season, uh, originally the third-round draft pick out of Ohio State, uh, will now be a pending UFA after this season. Uh, talk a little bit about where you think he is in his career. <laughs> um, right now, he's kind of at not – maybe you could call it a, a make-or-break season. Um we can get into the good season and great season, but we're, we're not quite there yet. I, I would just say he is a player that most likely will not reach that um, starter level caliber at this point of his career from what we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure that he will ever be a full-time starter on defense, um, I- but definitely he's a special teams player and can be a captain on some team, um, whether that's the Ravens or somewhere else, uh, I think he can, you know, grow into that that type of role and maybe um, become a player like I'll mention later. Okay, you've taken about eight of my seventeen points right there, so that uh, <laughs> I've got a lot of crossouts to make here. Uh, but we'll talk a little bit about Malik. He was active for all seventeen games last year, started eight, so. Uh, a fair amount of that, he started actually at edge. He played both inside linebacker and outside linebacker. Uh, did a great job early in the year, I thought, of helping bridge a very undermanned unit until the return of Tyus Bowser. Uh, that didn't happen until week nine. And, and before that point, some of the names we've probably even forgotten by now, but Stephen Means played a lot of snaps to Ravens in week one and was injured on his first snap of week two. Uh, you know, they they had... Uh, just an incredible shortage of outside linebackers that caused an, a tremendous overburdening of both Houston and Owe. Ajabo, of course, was not ready to go early in the year either. He he was able to go later, and there wasn't room for him on the active roster, as it turned out. The Ravens didn't yet have JPP. They had somebody else they had there for a brief period of time, and i got to go back to my defensive spreadsheet to kind of remember Ada Ochu. 
played some snaps. Ah, uh, yeah. Brandon Copeland played some snaps, a Gilman guy, I believe, uh, if, if I remember. Devon Kennard came on the team. These are a lot of names that we are not going to remember in a few years about uh, of uh, players. And then Stephen Means, of course, just played the first game and, and one snap into the second. Jason Pierre-Paul ended up coming on being a very good outside linebacker, but the main guy to bridge the gap where all these guys just could not keep healthy bodies for his first eight weeks was Malik Harrison. Absolutely. Um, small sidebar here. Brandon Copeland is a name that stands out um, because of Twitter. There was a, an interaction that he had with um, Hoodie Ramey, you know, a big name sure. for Ravens Twitter. And during the season, uh, I believe the tweet was about getting a sack in a game. And Brandon Copeland did end up with a cleanup sack. And, um, the agreement was like shaving, shaving his head. So um, I think Hoodie Ramey got Copeland to actually shave his own head at some barbershop there in, um, in Baltimore. And it was pretty funny because, you know, not a, not a big name for, for the Ravens, somebody that people will likely forget, but um, it was, it was a small story in the, in the season that was kind of funny. Interesting. I, I did not know this, but Brandon Copeland is the grandson of Roy Hilton. Now, Roy Hilton, a big name in Baltimore football history, defensive end for the Colts, and in particular for that Super Bowl V championship team. There's a lot more to Roy Hilton, though, that went on with his life in, in Baltimore, but uh, he should have probably been the MVP of that game. A lot of people think Curtis, but uh, Hilton deflected the pass that Volk intercepted for one of the biggest plays in Super Bowl history. He also uh, generated the holding call that put the Ravens in the second and 35, sorry, put the Cowboys in the second and 35 situation where they ended up then throwing the interception to Curtis that was run back for the, for eventually what turned out to be the game winning field goal try. Uh, And uh, he had a huge part in that game, but I've actually met Roy Hilton as a child. I didn't realize it. Um, He, was a security professional after he left football and he was at the front gate of the monument street entrance of johns hopkins he used to be a guard there i think he might have done this in, in the off season as well but he definitely did it you know because players had offseason jobs back then but but then he became a, a lead security i think at johns hopkins university at, at at later later in life and anyway so roy would would have been at the front door everybody knew him everybody wanted to say hi to him friendly guy um, if I'd only known who he was when we walked in there and I was probably 10 or 11 at the time, then I should, I should have gotten an autograph at that point, but, uh, uh, did not know that until I just looked up Copeland here and, and, and your sack, uh, to see where that occurred, uh, to make sure that, uh, he wasn't his grand grandson of Roy Hilton. So, wow, that is, that is a crazy story. Yeah. yeah. All right. So Malik Harrison, anyway, um, <clears throat> he played primarily early down at outside linebacker and the Ravens didn't really have a good Sam linebacker. So he was playing a lot on that side. Did have a lot of coverage of snaps himself, which came a lot from his inside linebacker play as well, where he was, he was spending some time, but most of his time, frankly, uh, early in the season um, was at outside linebacker later in the season. He didn't have any defensive snaps at all because once Roquan Smith showed up, then Patrick queen moved of course to the weak side linebacker spot or to, I'll say to the other inside linebacker spot because they, right. they each played some. And then uh, Harrison was pretty much only doing a very small amount of outside linebacker fill-in duty. Yeah, I mean, 
what, what we will get to here is basically the log jam, which is a positive thing that the Ravens currently have at inside linebacker. And um, that is especially true after they spent a third round pick on Simpson from Clemson. So um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a battle for that fourth spot. And I think that's the competition he's in. Yeah. Um, and, and those other guys are also special teamers. Um, you got Josh Ross, not to be confused with John Ross. Mm-hmm. That's a wide receiver that played for Cincinnati. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, Christian Welch as well as all, I mean, uh, also. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, those guys are really going to be core special teamers for the Ravens this year, you know, depending on who makes the team, who sticks around on the practice squad for the call-ups. And um, it's just going to be a battle to see, you know, who can stick, you know, stick with the Ravens for a while. Yeah. So Josh Ross uh, has lost a year of, if it were college, we call it eligibility, but he's, he's rolled over his year into year two right now uh, because he did see the field, I guess, in this, in this first year, but Mm -hmm. um, definitely would, would offer a reset versus Harrison. Yep. I don't think he's really in any jeopardy to losing his job to Christian Welch, who is also a fourth-year player. I think that he just brings more to the field than than Welch does. Probably more as a special teamer, but definitely more in terms of outside-inside linebacker versatility. And so I wouldn't see that as a likely thing. But you're 100% right about Simpson. And the team, we don't know what's going on behind closed doors, what phone calls are being made in terms of trading Patrick Queen or trying to, you know, get some sort of good return for him while the getting's good um, as opposed to just letting him walk at the end of the year, but also getting a year of Patrick queen, which has real value. Um, we, we, we don't know what's going on there, but that could create an additional roster spot. Yeah, for sure. I, at this point, if we were making odds on it, I would say queen's not going anywhere in 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, just straight up. But I, I don't think it's going to happen. Of course you would have to have some sort of, percentile chance that you know that it does happen but i i would very much say the um the favorite would be for him to remain in baltimore for this season i agree i think that's that's more likely um and uh and that being the case the ravens are gonna have to juggle juggle through their roster they're gonna have to try and figure out a lot of things like how do they how do they end up coming out of this season getting a good handle on how simpson can help them Right. That to me, that's a that's a big question. I don't think they're going to rotate. Well, they're not going to rotate through Roquan Smith. I mean, the primary reason being he has the green dot. Mm-hmm. So, but they could try and get not rotational play, probably, but probably some mop up play from Simpson or some maybe some specialized package play. Yep, I agreed with that. I mean, I know you've done some podcasts where you've talked about him and what he did at Clemson. Um, I know in his earlier years. He was used all over the place. Um, some people even referred to it as, you know, kind of a, like a pseudo nickelback role. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not here to say he's a defensive back. He is extremely athletic. Um, he's not Kyle Hamilton, I don't think. You know, I don't, I don't know how he would play the slot in in that sense. But um, I am excited about his versatility and what Mike McDonald could do with him after he has some time in the defense and what what that looks like as far as coverage goes, because, you know, one of the things that has been the most difficult um, when you're watching Patrick queen and not, not to, not to dog on the guy, cause he's 
grown into a really good linebacker is his ability and coverage. And I right. think with Simpson, you're getting a, a better starting point. Um, if you're looking at them both coming out of college, I think Simpson is at a, a higher you know place in terms of his understanding of coverage zone and man coverage um, coming into the league. So that bodes well for him and, and we'll see what happens. And of course, Simpson is, is a converted safety who, you know, picked up more weight in college, played some overhang, played some, some uh, true nickel probably uh, during his time at Clemson. But uh, there is a real question of exactly how they'd fit him on the field. The Ravens showed an adaptability to an unusual nickel last year that may embolden them to try something similar this year in terms of having a player like uh, Simpson who might be out there for some oddball nickel snaps. Uh, in particular, if you have a tight end in the slot right. and 12 personnel, that would be kind of the ideal thing. Of course, if that's the case and you're not going with a nickel defense, you're, you're going with a, a, um, uh, you know, a, a, a base defensive look, then you'd figure that it would just be Hamilton covering that mm-hmm. that that uh, uh, tight end or having the primary responsibility for it. Uh, but if you if you there are other ways, I guess you could go to a four three three even. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't really believe in taking another another defensive back off the field because that's going to be either Williams or Hamilton, and there's no way you want either of those guys off the field for any play. <laughs> no, you yeah. don't. So is it is really there's almost nothing that that really makes sense other than maybe using using Simpson as a Sam linebacker in their desperation um, because he's got right. some coverage ability. I don't want to go too deep into Simpson because I want to get back to Harrison here, sure. but I will say this Simpson as a converted safety does not look, did not look as good to me as a coverage player as he should have been. I thought um, this is a guy who probably, you know, more could have been expected of him, but he does know how to take a deep drop. He has some understanding of what's going on between level two and three. It's just not quite at the level you'd expect a safety to understand that moving up. And, you know, when you see Hamilton or the typical dime back come up and do that, they really understand what's going on behind them. Um, whereas inside linebackers, it's a, it's a, it's a t- steep learning curve. Oh, for sure. All right. Um, let's see. What else do we want to say about 2022? So Malik Harrison basically was was playing a, a, a fair amount in those first nine weeks. And then all of a sudden, the arrival of Roquan Smith really cut his playing time uh, to almost nothing. Just a few outside linebacker snaps per game thereafter. Um, I thought one of the things he did at outside linebacker pretty effectively, and it's one of the things they're really asking him to do by the downs they asked him to play there, is to set the edge effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. Uh, he, I mean, I, I was going to mention him when we get to the good season, great season. Um, but to me, um, Malik Harrison's role in this defense, if it continues to grow, um, I see him kind of like an Albert McClellan or a Brendan Ayanbadesha. Both of those guys are, are people that he should embody and try to model his game after because they are not like 100% defensive starters. Um, McClellan, you know, played more defense, I think, than Ian Badejo ever did in Baltimore, but they both were able to get on the field and contribute in different ways. And what Albert did, you know, switching between inside backer, outside backer, setting the edge, I think that's what Malik Harrison can try to become. 
Um, so he, yeah, he was the name that I was definitely going to bring up. Uh, two, two points down. Roland 2020-2022 was similar to Albert McClellan in past years, filling a key <laughs> emergency role when needed. <laughs> but it's true. Albert McClellan played defensive end and started a game there once for the oh, Ravens. Yeah. He played outside linebacker. He played inside linebacker. Whatever they needed, he did it. And he was a great special teams player. And if Malik Harrison wants to be a survivor in this league, and I think, I think that's the path to the most money for Malik Harrison right now. Because I don't, I don't think he's going to ever – I think if he tries to move on somewhere for a starting role, he runs the risk that, he, that he's not good at that and that they don't appreciate the special teams he's bringing to the table. And so he's, he's not quite beloved in the same way he is in this town for his special teams play and what he can right. bring you in terms of versatility on defense. And, and he's, a, uh, he's in a good situation in Baltimore. He's got a coach that really values special teams. He's – a core special teams player who plays on all four base units plus the field goal block unit. So kickoff and punt coverage and return four units for there. And then the, and then the field goal block. Um, there aren't that many guys with ad significant, a special teams role. Your comment earlier is right on the money. If Geno stone were to leave this team, I think Malik Harrison moves into that captaincy mm-hmm. of the special teams unit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, going through snap counts for him was interesting because Malik Harrison did lead I, the entire Ravens team in special team snaps. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's from what, what I saw on uh, Pro Football Reference. And the guy that was right behind him, I think two snaps different, so I mean you know, two plays, mm-hmm. was Christian Welch. So both of those linebackers that are fighting for essentially the same job are the leaders in the clubhouse in terms of snaps on special teams, which matters a ton to John Harbaugh. Um, it's going to matter to Chris Horton too. Um, so it, it's, it's going to be a battle. I, I do think um, when you're talking about those two players in particular, Malik Harrison probably gets the edge. You know, he, he has the pedigree of a third round pick. He has some maybe more athletic traits to him. Uh, and um, you know, he's, been on the field doing some things for the defense and he's shown the ability to set the edge as well as kick inside to um, inside backer and maybe do some of those more traditional two down thumping type um, uh, roles for the defense. That additional edge versatility is just huge because the Ravens right now are in a struggle to figure out who is their backup Sam. And right now everybody's going, you know, sign Justin Houston, sign Chase Young, sign blah, blah, blah. You know, they have already Adafi Owe and David Ajabo. That's two rush linebackers. Those guys, Ajabo may well have the physical, sorry, not Ajabo, uh, Owe may well have the physical traits because he's a fantastic athlete to to go be a Sam linebacker. But to do so, you're going to take him out of his native environment, you know, rushing against a naked tackle there and and really taking advantage of him, learning to rush the passer with Chuck Smith this year. I just, I think it would be a big mistake to move him from there. So I think the Ravens are set at rush linebacker with their two guys, plus also Tavius Robinson, who is a situational pass rusher. I think it's the Sam side. They need to find somebody. And what that really means is an early down replacement for, for Bowser who can certifiably stop the run uh, can get it has some ups to to knock down some passes. Um, GPP I think is still a reasonable choice for that role. I don't think Houston is. I don't think Houston would do nearly as well on that side. GPP is bigger for starters, um, and I, I think 
that just makes a, a lot more sense. Now they could go out and get somebody else who's got more of a Sam pedigree, more of a guy who they they would really think could play Sam. Um, they've got a UDFA guy that uh, is in that category, Malik Ham. I want to say, but what's the guy's? I may have his first name wrong. Uh, yeah, it's Malik Ham, the outside linebacker who's uh, out of Lafayette, who's from Baltimore. Um, he he'd be a possibility, but we'll we'll just have to see how that plays out. But he's one of the guys I want to watch this camp in preseason to really understand. Um, did they have Sam intentions for him or, or, uh, or, or might it be somebody else? Uh, but anyway, I, I, I do think that versatility to play the edge plays right into to Malik Harrison's hands in terms of being the obviously more valuable player than Welch. I, and I, at this point, I think I'd throw their pedigree away because Malik Harrison certainly yeah. has not lived up to his third round standing. Cer- certainly, yeah. certainly. And, but Welch is an undrafted guy. So you think there might be some sort of gap there. It yeah. doesn't matter though at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I was wondering if Tavius Robinson would have some of the ability to play Sam on early downs, just just because of his size. Um, he seems he seems like the type that would be a pretty good edge setter, um, and and might be able to do some work on that side. You just worry about him in coverage. That's not really what you want him to do. He was a good pass rusher in college, and you like the ability to kick inside with him as well. So I'm not 100% sure about him. I haven't really done that much work um, watching him, so I I couldn't say. So You're right to make the distinction and say on early downs. And and here's the, here's the thing. Here's why this is important. Here's why I talk about Sam linebackers all the time. That's Sam linebacker when he can drop the coverage and actually be effective doing it as Judon could when he was with the Ravens, as Bowser can now. Um, he gives your pass rush tremendous flexibility because you can rush off the slot if Bowser can drop the cover, a slot receiver, probably not man for man, but he can drag a seam. He can play a shallow zone um, and know what's going on behind him in a sense that even inside linebackers don't typically know. Um, you, you just have a lot more flexibility with who you can bring when one of your guys from the line of scrimmage is really capable of dropping. A lot of the Belichick defenses have been based on that, and that's frankly why it was very easy to predict that Matt Judon was going to end up with Belichick uh, was because he's exactly the kind of, of player who can drop off the line of scrimmage that that he really likes and gives a lot of pass rush flexibility. Anyway, I, I, I think – the, the early down responsibility is a little different, and they did prove last year they can do without some of that early down pass rush flexibility because JPP almost never dropped, but he still right. provided some some ability to bat down balls, a little mm-hmm. bit of pressure, and good control of that of that uh, right tackle and tight end on the right side uh, to try and not let the run get away on that side. Yep, absolutely. All right. Start with good season? or I, I, I do – um, but, but let's, before we go to that, what's the ideal way that this works out for Malik? Let's assume he decides, you know what? I could go to the Arizona Cardinals and try and resurrect my career because they need an inside linebacker and I'm not any, could be any team, but I'm, I'm taking them as an example. Um, I could play, uh, Mike linebacker on a two down basis for them, play on a one year vet men deal. See if I get picked up somewhere else. I'll play special teams for them too, if that's what they want me to do. But if he goes there, maybe he gets hurt playing uh, a two-down role, or maybe he just doesn't work out in a two-down role. And so the, the Cardinals need to replace him and bring somebody else in, and then his career effectively grinds to a halt. Maybe he ends up on somebody's practice squad for a year, and then he's done. Uh, 
Or he says, you know what? That that Albert McClellan deal, that Anthony Levine deal, th- you know, that uh, Geno Stone deal, that LJ Fort deal looks pretty good to me. How about mm-hmm. I sign for, you know, two years for the vet minimum plus a $400,000 bonus or a $200,000 bonus or whatever it might be um, that, that would be, you know, enough to, to make me happy in this, uh, in this role and extend my career from four years to maybe eight in the league. Yeah. He's I mean, only going to be two years at a time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> big deal. Big deal. Um, yeah. I, I agree. I, I think that his ideal path is sticking it out with the Ravens or finding another team that values special teams the way that we do. And, you know, some versatility between edge play and inside linebacker. So. All right. All right. Very good. I, I believe that too. And I think, I think he and his agent will kind of determine that probably come back to the Ravens with that as the, as a plan, or if the Ravens will go to them first, who knows the, the order of it. And it would not even surprise me if he signed before this regular season to a two-year extension. It also wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if they waited till the end of the year and he signed to a two-year extension then. Um, but, uh, but in either case, I, I don't, I don't think it's a huge hurry. The Ravens do have some other defensive linemen in particular. They'd probably like to extend at this point, uh, given their, the paucity of 2024 talent they have, but, uh, it's, it's, a it's, it's not a bad position to be in if you're Malik in terms of hanging around the league for a few years, you want to talk about a good season. You go first. Sure. Um, so I think this this could either be in the good season or maybe just below the good season. Um, my my beginning note here is that he um, just misses the initial fifty three man roster, so he makes the practice squad easily. Um, gets called up for games uh, due to his special teams. Um, maybe his edge line inside linebacker versatility as well plays well enough in those games to warrant a 53-man roster spot when injuries do occur. Um, He will grow as an inside linebacker uh, to help, you know, fill in the gaps whenever there are those um, times in, in cleanup or if there's an, if there's another injury and he would be near the top of the team in special team snaps, just like he was this past season, um, especially considering the games that he's playing. So the the highest snap count and special teams for the games that he's actually getting into. This is all with him not being on the 53-man roster to start the season. Okay. That's an interesting take. I haven't I hadn't thought of that one. He is signed for this year. He's signed for a four-year deal originally. Now, that doesn't mean he can't be cut, and there's a small savings from it. They have some already prorated bonus money that would be lost, and so in a sense, he could sign with somebody else for a vet minimum. Actually, not even for a vet minimum amount, I guess, because he's a year four player. I'm not actually sure what his, what his options are outside the organization, other than he could sign with another team and and you know probably get the same money, uh, I would think, fairly easily uh, right. elsewhere for one year. Um, so I had, I had for a good season for me, I had makes the roster and is active for 15 plus games plays as needed, but sparingly on defense. So I think that's really a great season for the Ravens, by the way, if they don't need him mm-hmm. at inside linebacker oh. or an outside yeah. linebacker. Yeah. Um, value is a special teams player. It makes him a priority near vet men signing. And that's what I mean. A couple of years, million dollars a year, plus 
400,000, 200,000, whatever it is of signing bonus um, for the 24 and 25 seasons. So I, I have in there two years, two and a half million. Uh, and that's my, that's my good season for him. So the hardest thing there is probably the 15 plus games. So it's just easy. Mm-hmm. If he's active, I think his special teams contributions will be enough that he'll, he'll make it from a, from a, uh, we want to have you back at some price for 24, 25. Right. Yep. That's, that's pretty close to what I have as well. Um, part of, part of my great season is what you said in your good season. So, mm-hmm. um, for the great season, I have him, uh, beating out Christian Welch and John, Josh Ross, um, for special teamer slash linebacker four role on the team sticks on active game day roster um, and develops more as a two down linebacker while dominating as a special teams captain, not the special teams captain. Cause I think that's Geno stone, but mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of growing into that role continues to lead the team in special team snaps, but contributes uh, to more disruption um, tackles behind the expected gain return. Um, so, you know, on mm. kickoff coverage, punt coverage, and forcing turnovers, whether he's the one doing that or, you know, he's just being a part of, of that. Um, signs an Anthony Levine type two to three year extension during or after the season, um, keeping the special team mantle of excellence in Baltimore. And I think his role on defense grows to the Albert McClellan slash Brendan Ian <laughs> type level. Brendan Iambajajo was another really good one that I didn't have in mind, but mine's almost verbatim yours, so I'm going to read it. Also 15-plus regular season games, pl- plays plugs a key defensive hole at either outside linebacker or Mike for two-plus games. Wouldn't really be good for the Ravens if that happened. That'd be good for him. Contributes in a way that makes us remember LJ Fort, Geno Stone, Albert McCullough, and Anthony Levine as a core ST player who makes at least one big play on defense to help win a game while otherwise providing solid quality play. Part of the ongoing special teams plans with a contract as above, meaning two years, maybe two and a half million, uh, and as a candidate for ST leadership if Stone departs. So I, I don't think we could, I don't, in this entire series, I don't think we had one player where we agreed more specifically on what a good and great season was yeah. <laughs> than the two of us here on on uh, on Malik Harrison. Hopefully, I, you know, I, I'm really hopeful that Malik can get excited about that. And obviously, you know, he came out of a big time program and he was an every down player at Ohio state or, or close to it. Right. Um, you know, is, is he going to be okay with being an NFL, essentially special teams ace who is otherwise versatile. So it'll be interesting. Let's move on and talk about Odell Beckham. Now, controversial contract 31 in November, um, you know, I'm very surprised by the amount of money given. Everyone I've talked to that's outside of the Baltimore sphere of fandom is very surprised by the contract. The PFF people are regular on the show just, you know, shake their head at the contract. Ross Tucker mm-hmm. talks about it online. Just this is not a Ravens contract. It doesn't make sense. You know, I think that the, the general wisdom is that these are additional dollars that were spent effectively on Lamar Jackson that, uh, you know, are directed as he saw fit, um, but effectively represent a larger contract for Lamar. Sure. I I would agree with that. Um, Yeah. I I have, I have some numbers we can, 
kind of look at to, to get an idea for where he is as a player? I know, I know you've already talked about Odell on previous shows, but that's okay. This is, we're supposed to talk about Odell on this one. So go ahead. All right. So looking at his three um, previous seasons where he's actually playing, I have his 2019, 2020 and 2021 seasons mapped out for us. Um, So in 2019, he was able to play 16 games. He had 133 targets, um, which was 25.7% target share. This is on the Browns. Wow. 74 receptions. Uh, This part I really don't like, and it's it's kind of a common thread for him, a a low percent catch rate. And I think some of that is due to quarterback play, you know, the lower catch rate, because it's not – these aren't based on um, catchable balls. This is a catch rate on any target, right? Um, So 55.6% catch rate, um, 7.8 yards per target, which is not bad. It's not great, but it's not terrible. That's going to be the best number you're going to see on here. Um, And 14 yards per reception. He had 1,035 receiving yards, four receiving touchdowns, which was – a 3% touchdown rate and an 18% of the passing touchdown share in that Browns offense. Okay. So 25% target share and 18% touchdown share. Yes. Um, you'd think of him as more of a red zone threat than that. I, I am getting, what did you have as a, as a catch rate for him? I'm sorry. I'm looking at, I'm looking at the beginning of his career. Yes. It's quite bad. At the 55.6. Yeah. Begin. Yeah. I think the first year of his career was like 70%. It was really good. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's it's really been a lot of his uh, career receiving is basically a ski slope in terms of mm-hmm. declining production over time. And in particular, if you look at the yards per target metric, uh, which I think is the most important for a receiver, then you you, you see um, a lot of backsliding over the years. Um, yes. And just to go through this, I'm going to read this one more time, although I've done this before on this show. As a rookie, 10.0 yards per target. That's a terrific number. There's only a handful of Ravens receivers who've ever got there. Then 9.2, still good. 8.1, 7.4, 8.5, 7.8, 7.4, and 6.5. So obviously it's not the direction – well, it's not the direction anybody wants to be headed by dropping from 3.5 yards per target from your rookie year and having a generally declining uh, number. But, uh, you know – I think there are still some things he does well, but he was offensive rookie of the year and um, an all pro in his rookie year. And is in his two subsequent years, he was AP two and he has never had any sort of award or pro bowl since no all pro, no, no pro bowl. So, you know, a lot of what we remember about Odell Beckham comes from two periods in time, that 2014 to 16 period against the Giants. If we're Ravens fans, we remember him burning Tavon Young, who got tri- mm-hmm. actually tripped up by Eric Weddle on the play at New York in 2016 to, to lose a ball game. And we also, because everyone saw it, remembers yep. the nationally catch. known you know, catch well, with catch. one hand right on the sideline, touchdown, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, that's a lot of our collective memory as Ravens fans of Odell Beckham. And then the second thing we remember for the second period is that Super Bowl. Now mm-hmm. he did in point of fact, when he last played in 2021, have a great postseason run. So as bad as his regular season was, and that's where the 6.5 number comes from, his postseason was a lot better than that. 
So it's it would be fair, I think, at least to group those two things together, or at least look at that postseason run when he wasn't really playing healthy. At least that's the story. He wasn't playing with a he was playing with a torn ACL at the time. Yeah. Um, he even said that he didn't have an ACL, which I don't know how that happens. How is that even possible? <laughs> I, I don't I don't know that, but uh, let's let's just say he wasn't a hundred percent. Yeah. It's it, it was in there somewhere, even if it was yeah. hanging completely off to the side and not attached. So, all right. Anyway, um, uh, it's not really funny, but but whatever. Right. Um, it, it, so, in terms of the last three years, one of the other disturbing statistics is not just the catch percentage; it's what he's doing after the catch. He had ten drops in the period, so that is you know part. Of, it's, it contributes to the lower catch percentage, but he also had only five broken tackles. Now, that's one of the things you want for a receiver is a good ratio of broken tackles to drops. And obviously, you want more broken tackles. Right. Um, Yak, very low these days. Part of that is a uh, question of his. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Contested catches and being more of a bailout target. You mentioned the 25% target share for the Browns. That doesn't happen unless you're the bailout target. It just does not happen. So, um, Mark Andrews last year was only 24.4 for the Ravens, uh, which was way too much. I mean, one of the things the Ravens need to work on is reducing his target share, spreading the ball more, more effectively around the field. So Andrews is more effective on a, on a per target basis. And it may even be more total targets because the number of passes is going up, but they need to figure out a way to, uh, uh, to reduce his target share. And, and I think that's going to be true of Beckham as well. They'll need to figure out how flowers can affect defenses differently, uh, draw draw the safety attention away. And the gravitational pull of Lamar Jackson will also keep um, inside linebackers positioned such right. that there are more opportunities for players like Beckham and the tight ends. Absolutely. Um, I do have the numbers for 2020 as well as 2021. Um, so – I got into the nitty gritty of 2021 when he was on the two different teams. So I have the target share for those specific games when they're all added up. Uh, 2020, he played seven games. I also did that there. So he was on the Browns still. Um, He had 43 targets, which was a 20.6% target share. Um, 23 receptions at a 53.5% catch rate. Mm-hmm. Um, 7.4 yards per target. Not great. It's not the worst you're going to see, but you know, it's, it's not really what you're looking for either. Um, and 13.9 yards per reception. He had 319 receiving yards, three receiving touchdowns at 7% touchdown rate. That is a good number. Actually, that's, that's, that's as a percentage of targets, three out of 43, right? Yes. Three out of 43 would be a 7% touchdown rate. And then um, his touchdown percentage or his share of touchdowns in that seven game sample size was 18.8%. 
Okay, so it's it's a little bit less than maybe you'd expect if if he's your red zone threat. But you know, another guy who I'm glad you broke out that fractional season target share because that's not right. not something we'd see in a seven game season very well. Um, and I, and I'm interested to hear it for 2021 as well. What what did you have for that for the two different so, teams? Yeah, so in 2021, he played six games for Cleveland. Um, he had 34 targets at a 17.8% target share, mm-hmm. um, 17 receptions. So right here, 50% catch rate. Not good. Targets, we don't know. The target quality could have been poor. Baker Mayfield, not great, you know. Um, he also, I, I believe he had a game of Case Keenum in there. Um uh, yeah, he he did. Uh, and then he had 6.8 yards per target. That is really not a good number. Um, and a but it 13. It could get worse. <laughs> it can. <laughs> 13.6 um, yards per reception, zero touchdowns. So, um, you know, didn't have any of that share. And 232 receiving yards. Um, anything you want to comment on that before I get to the Ram side? Of things? Go ahead with the Ram side. Then I've got additional comments on that catch rate and why it might've been so low. Sure. So with the Rams, he played eight games. He had 48 targets at 17.1% target share. This is on the Cooper cup season. This is the season that he went nuclear. Um, so yeah, 17.1 is not bad on that team. Uh, 27 receptions at a 56.3% catch rate, 6.4 yards per target. So it it did get worse. Um, An 11.3 yards per reception. Now you could be seeing some of this, um, some of these numbers dropping because the role that he's in, maybe some sort of injuries he's dealing with. And I, I imagine that the A dot for his time with the Rams is pretty low. I did not look into 12.8. His, his average depth of target. That's actually pretty high. Actually, that includes the postseason. But what that tells you is that he's not catching his longer balls because if he's got an A dot of 12.8 and a yards right. per target of 7.4, he's obviously six, 6.4. Yeah, six, right, 6.4. He's not catching his his longer balls. But is is uh, he only had three games where he had an A dot under 10 according to PFF here? Okay, so. Um, so so I was just going to finish this real quick. Yep. So he, he did have five receiving touchdowns on the Rams in those eight games, um, which was at a 10.4% touchdown rate. Now, this is the highest number I've seen all year. I've been doing um, fantasy football projections and kind of looking through stats. That That is a very high number. Um, I don't think it's sustainable, but that's cool for him. He was just a, a target for Matt Stafford in that season. Um, and he had a 27.8% touchdown share in those eight games with the Rams as well. Okay. This, some, this, some... These do not include the postseason either these stats and uh 305 receiving yards. Go ahead. Some comments about him and his time with the Rams. First of all, it's like he was a different player in that postseason. So we're going to look at his regular season and postseason separately during the regular season, throwing to him Stafford. And I assume it's pretty much all Stafford had an 89.6 passer rating. Definitely don't want that out of a starting receiver and definitely not out of a star starting receiver if he is that. But in the postseason, much better player. And the the passer rating throwing to him, 141.3. So if you want to say Odell Beckham can still play this game, 
you probably want to look at the postseason in 2021 for the evidence because it's the most recent playing time he's got, which is which is good from that standpoint. But of course, he's hurt for a whole year after that. We don't know exactly mm-hmm. who he's going to be. But there isn't anything in his in his recent seasonal play anywhere else that is particularly good. And so if you look at his time in Cleveland, it wasn't good. Um, you look at his his time in LA during the regular season, it wasn't really good either. Did have some touchdowns, but it wasn't really good. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's really that postseason you got to look at if you want to say, yeah, I think this guy can still play. Now, I, I did. I want to talk about one other thing, which is his contested catch rate. So he has a forty four point nine percent contested catch rate in his career. So it's catches as a percentage of contested targets. Um, if you look at that and you compare that to the two thousand twenty two group of receivers who had at least 50 targets regular and postseason there are 84 such players he would be 44th among them so incredibly close to a median uh contested catch rate i don't think it's fair to say odell beckham gives you a great contested catch target he's a he's a very average contested catch receiver he's you know at 511 200 he's not particularly huge for a wide receiver he's he's somewhat thickly built but he's not He's not particularly huge um, in any case. Uh, not not necessarily a great box out player. Uh, certainly has drawn at times during his career uh, more attention as a receiver. I did want to look at this really quickly. Was um, how had this how had this changed by season for his whole career? And I'll take me a second. I don't. Know, did you have, want to respond to that anyway? Um. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. Those those numbers kind of tell you that he's not this amazing um, contested catch receiver by any means. I, I think what you're going to see more from him is the ability to separate at the top of his routes, um, mm-hmm. kind of in that intermediate area, really similar to where Mark Andrews kind of thrives and provide another security blanket for Lamar Jackson. I mean, that was the gold star for Beckham coming out in the draft was his route running. And he was thought to be the best route runner of that 2014 draft. And I think he's been one of the best route runners in the league during his time around. So what that's generally going to mean is he's going to be very, I, by the way, I did not look this up. So somebody else can look it up and say, well, you're, you're just wrong about this, Ken. What that generally means is he's going to be very good against man coverage, not as good against zone coverage. What do the Ravens mostly face? <laughs> zone. Yeah, zone because you got Lamar Jackson. Yeah. So you want eyes in the backfield from your whole from the from the whole team. Uh, it's just not an ideal situation. Now, now it doesn't yeah. mean they face a hundred percent man or zone or whatever. But Zay Flowers um, has a um, a similar situation. He's not a particularly good route runner, but he's he's been more effective versus zone coverage um, in, in his college career. It'd be interesting to see how that how that actually plays out. I tell you, one of the things I'm really interested to see is that Beckham can be a mentor in this thing. Now, we all hear about the circus that goes along with Beckham, and there's going to be a lot of people interested in in Odell Beckham for more reason than there is to be for a 31-year-old receiver, you know, coming off an injury. There's there's just it's what what I want to know. I want to see the Justin Houston in Obadell Beckham, where he's just, just a natural guy who wants to show a Zay Flowers, you know, how do you, how do you juke 
that defensive back opposite you if he's trying to stay man with you on an island. Right. Yeah, I have that in I have that note in my good season and and my great season essentially being yep. uh, being a teacher, a leader, somebody that's going to help develop our young wide receivers. I think that's that's going to be key. If we can get that out of him, um, that that'll be a notch that kind of makes his, I don't know if it'll fully justify his contract, but, <laughs> but, but I, but I, but I think his contract was so much about, you know, um, making Lamar Jackson happy and getting him to a place where he was willing to sign a contract with the Ravens. And, you know, it, it, it made that happen essentially, or it was part of it. And, I think I think it's worth it for for that sense, but um, do you have kids? You know, his his play on the field is is going to be you know scrutinized heavily, you know, in comparison to his contract. Do you have kids, Jake? I do. Yep. Okay. So, is it is it fair to say? And I've been a child. I don't have kids of my own, but but um, I remember as a child not being particularly good with delayed gratification. Mm-hmm. Okay. They have given Lamar Jackson the piece of candy now. Okay, to yeah. give him Odell Beckham. They've also, there is no more candy in the jar for next year when they've spent an enormous amount of 2024 cap that will not be available to spend on wide receivers. Now, they may go out and draft another guy, but they but it, there won't be a lot of money uh, available to spend on wide receivers. And both Aguilar and Beckham are one-year rentals at that price. And uh, a couple things accrue from that in terms of responsibility for Lamar. One is, Lamar needs to use Odell, and what I mean is employ Odell within the offense as a a target that is one of many and not um, the target in the sense that Mark Andrews was that they he, he tries to justify Odell's contract in some right. way. If he, if he ends up with, with a bunch of reduced value marginal targets because Odell now treats him as the new Mark Andrews, that would be worse than... Right. The pass is still going to Mark Andrews because it's eighteen yeah. million dollars he spent doing it. Yeah, uh, I completely agree with that, and I also think Mark Andrews is just more effective than Odell Beckham Jr. at this point of their yeah. careers. So, yeah. all right. So, what have, <laughs> to me one of the biggest issues is getting finding a way to get legitimate separation in two thousand twenty three, and we know he's the he's the route runner or was the last time he was on the field. I do have questions whether or not. Um, opposing defensive backs are going to bite on the wiggle he throws given that he no longer has that speed. So they can wait a little bit longer to mirror. Talk about this as Adafi Owe as a pass rusher. If Adafi Owe had a great get off, his first move would be incredibly dangerous to left tackles. They would, they would overreact to it just naturally and he could develop compound moves to be very effective. With Beckham, because his speed is more limited now at this point in his career, he's no longer a 443 guy that he was coming out of school. Um, I, I I question whether or not he's going to still be able to, to uh, be as effective with his wiggle at the top of the route. And by the way, that doesn't mean that he can't teach it to Zay Flowers, who has much more suddenness at this point and speed at this point right. in, uh, in his career. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. I, it will be very telling early in the season – um, how defenses play the Ravens, how, how much they respect Odell Beckham 
because of the star power he has and how much they respect him based on where he is currently in his career. And, you know, multiple things can happen. Um, they can not show him respect and he can surprise people and, and actually still have some something left in the tank, which would be what we hope as Ravens fans. Um, or they can respect him because of the name that he, you know, that he has and that helps the other targets on the Ravens or Lamar Jackson is, you know, force feeding him the ball and it's not effective. Mm -hmm. And then there's another option where, you know, it's somewhere in the middle. Um, and it's just going to be fascinating to see how that kind of unfolds. Right. I, I, I agree with everything you just said there, by the way. And I think one of the key things in talking about Lamar Jackson, that'll be the last of these expectation shows posted is that Lamar Jackson needs to distribute the ball more effectively. And mm-hmm. in the end, I, I'm not even sure if I care about the, I, I care about the win loss record probably more than anything else. I definitely do not care about his yardage totals, either rushing or passing this year. I want him to find the most effective place on that efficient frontier that helps the Ravens win games. So that one loss record is going to be what matters. Right. And uh, I think distributing the football is going to be the best way to make Monken's offense as effective as it can be. I'm just not 100% convinced that um, Lamar will be able to adapt to it entirely. The Roman offense totally built for him. I mean, it, it's it, it was just it was so wonderfully designed to take advantage of his gravitational pull. Um, you know, I hope people realize what we lost with Greg Roman. It's, you know, it, it was time for him to go. I think I think you know the mm-hmm. four year run was a was a great run, but. Um, I also think sometimes it's the devil, you know, and I think if, if Lamar Jackson been around with Greg Roman last year in the playoffs, Ravens would have been a very dangerous team with the defense they had put together under Roquan. Oh, for sure. And, and, you know, if they'd gone all the way, I don't think we'd be talking about getting rid of Greg Roman. I think he'd be here right now. So uh, anyway, we don't need to go over that anymore other than, um, Expectations are sky high for Monken's scheme, and I think he'll deliver on the scheme, but he's not the only one who has to deliver. Lamar, first and foremost, needs right. to be able to go through progressions in a way that he never has to add to in his career. He needs to be able to find other players on extended plays. Completely agree. Uh, you want to start with the good season, or you want me to? Go ahead, my friend. All right. Um, for a good season... So I like to do some metrics with this um, and then some just kind of qualitative. Sure. Um, I would like to see his catch rate rise to an acceptable level. Um, So I looked it up. The 63.3% catch rate is the average in the NFL in 2022, Mm -hmm. um, I guess, amongst all wide receivers. Did you so, do that as? Oh, you didn't do completion rate for quarterbacks. Then you actually looked at wide receiver. I looked catch at rate. wide receiver catch rate. Okay, um, that's great. So I'm not expecting him to jump from you know 50, 55, 56 percent all the way to 63 for a good season. I would like to see him get to 60 percent catch rate for a good season. Um, yards per target will rise to at least 2020 level, which was 7.4. Uh, we cannot see anything starting with a six. Uh, it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's just not going to be acceptable. 
7.4 is is still the low end, but you know, I'm setting the bar lower for the good season, then we'll mm-hmm. talk about it in the in the great season. Becomes an additional safety blanket, as we talked about for Lamar on money down. So third down, second and long. Um, you know, any sort of situation where Lamar needs to find somebody, an extended play, Odell needs to be one of those guys. Um, and takes pressure off Andrews, Bateman, Zay Flowers, all of those guys. Um, ends up anywhere between 4 to 10% touchdown rate with his targets. Mm-hmm. I think that's a that's a good spot to be if you're in the threes or it's just not, not very good. Um, helps develop Bateman, Flowers, and Duvernay become better sellers at the top of the route. And I, I mentioned Bateman. He's already a really good route runner. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's less that he needs to teach him. But Odell does have experience in this league, and I think he's going to be able to teach those guys it's a matter of if he actually does it um by the way completely agree with that comment uh that that you know you got some polished pass rushers tavius robinson has a fairly decent toolkit coming out uh you know justin houston has a great toolkit right now so if the ravens are to re-sign him i still think chuck smith can teach him some stuff Oh, for you know, sure. But but yeah. Odell Beckham's one of the greatest route runners in in the last decade in the nfl and he definitely can can teach something to Bateman, who was the the best draft, but sorry, the best route runner in his draft, probably. Uh, right. And even though he can run the whole tree, um, if he if if Bateman does not take the opportunity to build a relationship with with um, Beckham and try and learn from him, I think he's missing an opportunity. Oh, for sure, I agreed. So yeah, development of young players is evident, showing promise for the future of the wide receiver core. Um. And he plays complementary football that leads to a reasonable contract extension that keeps the group together for 2024. Not anything so beyond. In your good season, you have you have Odell Beckham getting a contract extension from the Ravens. Uh, it, it's an option. Okay. So he he plays well enough that the Ravens would would consider it. Um, you know. Also, I haven't really done the research on on this part of it, and maybe you have. I know that there's a bunch of dead money in the future if he does not play again in 2024. I think there's some stuff that that they can do to alleviate the cap if they give him a smaller deal and and stretch that out. I'm I'm not 100% sure, but I know that the the cap situation is, you know, pretty terrible in the future if he's guaranteed to be off the team. In right. And it's I mean, he's got void years. And, right. You know, I, I honestly I'll admit I'm I'm not the the last resource on this, but I'm not I'm not aware of a way. And the Ravens have now four four prominent players, Edwards, Aguilar, Beckham, and Michael Pierce. Pierce? Yeah, Pierce, who have who have uh uh void years and and uh, they've already spent that cap for future years. I had I had Brad Spielberg on the show. He's he's a PF, uh, PFF cap expert, and he said that it was it was more common now that teams were having to do a little bit of this void year stuff at least because of the COVID years and the dent they put in the cap, and a lot of teams had to come out of that uh, by doing some. And the Ravens are actually kind of fortunate not to have had to do any yet. I hope it is not their long-term way of doing business. I really hate it. I hate spending next year's candy. And I really, really hate having my next year's season tickets degraded in value mm-hmm. by the, you know, the, yeah. uh, the loss of cap then. So I know if you're, if you're watching from home, you probably don't give a, don't give a 
rat's ass and you're okay with the tankier every once in a while. I hate the roller coaster parody nature of the NFL. Uh, and I, I want to see a good Ravens team who competes every year. Where are you on that? Where do you stand? Uh, I got to be honest. I'm, I'm more with you, Ken. Um, I, I hear it all over Twitter that, you know, fans are completely fine with the, the up and down nature of, of certain teams, but I am more of the philosophy that if, if you put together a strong team that can consistently make the playoffs, anything can happen once you're in them. And I'd rather have that every year than, you know, than potentially go all in for a season. And guess what can happen? You can still lose if you go all in. And then, then you're at a very difficult position with your roster and your cap if it fails. Um, so I, I'd rather have the chance every year, a, a lottery ticket that, you know, you're hitting some of the numbers than, you know, a, a team that is not even in it. Well, the Ravens of 2008 to 2012 completely got that strategy to pay off. Right. That, that team was, uh, it, for my money, the 2009 team was the best team, had by far the best offensive line, lots of defensive strength. They didn't have a whole ton of injuries, but they lost some terrible games on the road, ended up nine and seven during the regular season. Went to New England, trashed them in the first game of the playoffs, mm-hmm. then they lost at Indianapolis to, to end the season. I think that was the best best of those five teams. But you can make an argument that's any of 2008, 10, or 11. Any of yep. those teams are good. Guess which team won it all? 12, the 2012 yeah. team. And it was the, easily the worst of those five Ravens teams. But the lottery ticket strategy really paid off. And they, uh, uh, they got a... They got a lottery ticket and won with it at the right time because uh, yep. uh, that that team was about to have to be broken up a little bit. I will say something about the 2012 team that was different than the, at least than the 11 team um, was that wide receiver core. I think mm-hmm. they they put together a group of guys that were not necessarily stars. Anquan Bolden, you know, he is in his own way, um, you know, potential Hall of Famer, um, but the rest of the group. Not not stars, but they they had a good basketball team group of wide receivers mm-hmm. in a way that Ravens teams have not you know consistently done. So that was a little bit different. But 2011, like that was just such a strong defense, and Terrell Suggs with the Defensive Player of the Year award and all of that. Uh, it was such a fun run that you know ended up short, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, and the 2008 team, they were good enough. They just yep. they just were just quite could not get it done in Pittsburgh. Had they won that game, it was it was the Arizona Cardinals for the for the world championship. I mean, you couldn't have imagined probably a better uh, uh opportunity than that anyway. We actually knew right. that, you know, before game time. Uh, I'm going to go ahead with my good season on Odell because we got kind of a little bit sidetracked here, but uh, I'll just read it verbatim. Benefits from Monken's scheme and is used a- as the X when Bateman can't go. And unfortunately, I believe that's going to be true to-, to begin the season. Good extended play target who finds ways to make late space. So not something he's had to do for most of his career, but late space. Total snap count is limited to keep him fresh. Target share reduction helps him improve yards per target to 7.2 or better. So I set the bar a little bit lower, and I, I'm setting it at the 60th percentile. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'd even take that bet, that there's a 3-2. to two. I don't know that I'd take only 3-2, to two, that Beckham averages 7.2 yards per target in this coming season. And obviously, some of it has to do with staying healthy and whatnot, but, sure. but 7.2 in a qualifying amount, I, I'm just not convinced that's a, that's a guarantee. 
I have plays 14 plus games and demonstrates he has something left in the tank. And I'm leaving it fairly open-ended there. And I don't have any of the development of other receivers required in there specifically because I did it included in my grade. What did you have different for great? Um, so everything that I said about good, um, I had a couple um, metrics or statistics that I'd like a little bit better for a great season. So a 64 plus percent catch rate, but, you know, for good, I was at 60% at great. I want them at 64 at least mm-hmm. um, eight plus yards per target. This is a great season for Beckham mm-hmm. um, and a five plus percent touchdown rate. Uh and then here's some other stuff. Able to ebb and flow week by week in usage while remaining consistent in his efficiency. Um, so like what you're talking about, when Bateman can't go, Beckham's going to get more targets in that game. And then there's going to be other games where Beckham is not the focal point of the offense, but he is completely good with that. And he's still very efficient in the targets um, and the opportunities that he receives. Compound um, comment there, by the way. He's yeah. good with that, and he still is efficient. The yes. efficient is going to be a lot easier than he's good with that. Right, right. But, you know, this is a great season. I'm, I'm hoping for his attitude to be great as well. There you go. Um, because of his star power and good play, teams fear the Ravens' receiving room and passing game. This creates a nearly unstoppable offense that can run and pass at will against defenses. Um, develops backyard ball telepathy with Lamar that's good so when plays break down he extends and gets open for big plays um you know clutch catches and helps Andrew Andrews out in that situation blocks well on screens runs and non-targeted plays um and I have some you know projections for what those seasons would look like as well if you want why don't you give us yardage in terms of how many yards you're expecting from a great season Sure. Um, it's it's not going to be like a lot of fans. Um, sure, sure, that's it's, fine. It's much more mellow. So for me, a great season is 689 receiving yards. Mm-hmm. This is at 8.1 yards per target or 12.5 yards per reception. Uh, five receiving touchdowns at a 5.9% touchdown rate um, and a 12.5% touchdown share of the passing game. So those numbers are stemming from my projection for Lamar, which is pretty high, reasonable, attainable, but higher than what he's done, um, which would be 40 passing touchdowns in a season. You have at 8.5 targets then times 8.1 yards per target gets you to 689 roughly. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's 80, a, I, 85 targets. Yes, I have yeah. 85 for the good season and the great season. I didn't change targets there. Okay. All right, I've got a little bit different metrically, but uh, I've got played 16 plus games at a great season. So basically, I'm saying I've said a, a, the, on other shows that I think the 50% number is somewhere 12, 13 games, 14 mm-hmm. games at the 60% level, and 16 games at the 80% level. Um, and dramatically sure. improves from the past few seasons he's played in terms of yards per target. Yards per target of 8.0 or more on 90 plus targets. I, I, that would put me in the 700s. And now this marks the first time I've talked to Odell Beckham with anybody where somebody else had a lower estimation of any kind of a given point <laughs> what, what Odell Beckham would be. But I've got to, I would have him out on a great season to be in the 700s, maybe even a little bit higher than that. Uh, but again, that should only happen about 20% of the time. 
right. uh, with player closer play closer to the 2021 postseason. Mentors Flowers have become a more dangerous route runner, becomes a reliable second option who takes some of Andrew's marginal target share as Lamar distributes the ball. And we've already had in, in the earlier one about being an extended target. I cannot imagine us being closer again in terms of how we view Odell Beckham and and how he can help the Ravens this year. But uh, but it's nice to have this conversation. Uh, I, I, I tell you, Jake, is is there anything else that that like came up in this or anything that I said you want to kind of react to before we uh, close this out? Um, I'm trying to think. Um, so like with my projections and you being a little bit higher than me, I base these when you know, when I mm-hmm. I do fantasy projections for all the teams. When I looked at the Ravens and all of their weapons, if you assume health, which is the biggest assumption in the world right now, if you assume health, I I would say that the wide receivers will be pretty well balanced. Bateman ideally is the wide receiver one. Andrews is the number one target in the offense still, in my opinion. So all of the guys are kind of flirting in the 600, 700 yard receiving range. I think that is not likely. It's not the most likely outcome. I think the most likely outcome is that there will be an injury. I don't want it to happen, but there, there most likely will be. And somebody will kind of lead the pack in targets and receiving yards. Um, so it won't be this, this balanced, but I do have it pretty balanced when I'm ranking these and doing the projections. So 689 receiving yards for Beckham in a great season is not what I actually believe he is possible for the greatest season. I, I think he's capable of more. This is just what I have in I in an ideal situation with health being a constant. Okay. I, I, I guess I would call it a near optimal situation, but sure, if, sure. if I were to say, if you were to rank all the outcomes that are, that are possible as a fantasy football guy, I think you're probably doing a lot of this inherently. Does it seem unreasonable that he'd have about 700 yards at the 80th percentile? No, I, th- I think that's, that's fair. Per- perfectly yeah. reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. So you made one other interesting comment that I now have another question about. So you said um, you don't really believe that the targets will be roughly equivalent by receiver. And I don't, I don't believe that either. I think first of all, Lamar will have favorites. Second of all, injuries will play a role. Somebody's role will get magnified. Who is the ideal person among the wide receivers? And we still believe that Andrews and maybe likely will get a fair share, but Andrews might lead the team in targets. Mm-hmm. Who is the, who is it best for the Baltimore Ravens to have to be the biggest target share in 2023? Of the wide receivers. Um, well, I, it it really depends on how how Bateman's um, injury is affecting him. Because my easy answer would be Rashad Bateman. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if he's still dealing with health and Odell is an older player and he's dealing with health, then I think you look at the rookies, A. Flowers. Um, I don't think it's going to be Aguilar and I don't think it's Duvernay either. So um, you could really consider um, Zay Flowers to be the, the best target for Lamar. It, it's just a matter of how comfortable is he with him and how much does he, you know, want everybody to, to get the ball evenly. Uh, well, first of all, I love that they're practicing together, including Beckham yep. and Flowers practicing with Lamar, but my answer would be the exact same thing that it's probably best 
if Flowers is the biggest target share. And that is really going to put pressure on opposing defenses to give the safety help uh, to, to take on Flowers and, and create more open space underneath. And if, if that means Flowers gets 125 targets and Beckham gets 90, that's fine by me. I think, you know, I think that's probably good to start with. If it meant, if it meant Flowers got 150 targets and Beckham got 70 or 65, but it wasn't related to injury, that would be great too. In fact, that might even be better. Um, we don't have Beckham next year. We do have Flowers next year. And we right. really, really want to know who he is by the yeah. end of 2023. That's very true. Yeah. All right, Jake, just a complete pleasure doing this with you. You obviously spent a lot of time preparing for this, and I really appreciate you taking all the time you did uh, to, to, to come up with a really quality presentation of what you're doing. Your good, great descriptions are as, as good as any I've had on the show from other people they're that they're really well thought out and there's a lot of lot of detail in there uh tell folks where they took football with you online yeah uh you guys can talk to me on twitter um at real jake vogel uh v-o-g-e-l um yeah i love to talk ravens fantasy football uh georgia football so um definitely that is where you'll find me all right other folks out there if you'd like to be on a film study short Hit me up with a DM on Twitter. We're kind of running out of time, but there's still a little bit of time in July and some in August as well to get shows in on kind of off days between preseason games and whatnot. So there's still a little bit of time and there's about a, a, that almost two week period between the last preseason game and the first game of the regular season. That's ideal for prospective shows on what's going to happen this season. So think about what topic you'd like to talk about. Hit me up with a DM on Twitter. I'll get back to you really quickly. Jake, thanks again for coming on. Outstanding to have you. Thank you so much, Ken. I enjoyed it. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.